Welcome to The Ether. Today is Tuesday, April 12, 2022. This episode of The Ether is brought to you by Orbital Command, a community validator on Terra dedicated to educating, expanding, and promoting the lunatic community. Take advantage of their Terra Luna Intel report on Telegram, which brings you the hottest news and updates on all things Terra each and every day. Find it using the link in the show notes. You can also support their community efforts by considering them next time you're delegating or redelegating your Luna. Find out more at orbitalcommand.io. This episode of the Ether is also brought to you by Luart. Luart is the first gamified NFT platform built on the Terra network. Luart provides a seamless minting and trading experience all while earning you rewards just for being a user. Be sure to follow them on Twitter and join the community in the Discord server for the most up-to-date news and announcements regarding all the hot new NFT launches, platform upgrades, and new projects hitting the secondary marketplace. Are you ready to put your helmet on and join the movement? Find out more at luart.io. TerraSpaces appreciates the support from all our sponsors. Today on the Ether, strategically aligning L1 ecosystems with Doquan and Iman Gunsir. Let's take a listen. Well, might as well go ahead and get started and take advantage of the time we have. So thank you all once again for joining. I'm Kyle. I run social here at Avalabs. Um, ready to welcome up our two special guests that we're really excited to have today coming off the heels of our big announcement last week. Um, so uh, first up, want to introduce Doquan, founder and of Terraform Labs. Do you want to give a quick intro? I'm sure everybody here knows who you are. But I want a quick hello. Uh, hi. So um, I. Yeah, I'm, I'm the founder of Terra. We, um, we like to say that we focus on creating decentralized stablecoins that are easier to spend and more attractive to hold. Uh, so we have a number of stablecoins that are pegged to various different fiat currencies, like the US dollar, the Korean one, um, and, and so on and so forth. And the largest of these stablecoins is Terra USD, currently uh, rapidly pro- approaching $17 billion in market cap. Thank you so much again for joining us and for, for coming on to talk with us. And our other special guest, uh, CEO and founder of Avalabs, Emin Gunsir. Gun, you want to say hello? Hi, everyone. Welcome uh, on board. I guess we're getting started a little earlier. Kyle, I think some people are going to get upset because they, they will have timed themselves to come at 7. So I will talk very slowly until they all trickle in. Now, um, let's see. I am the, uh, the founder of... Uh, Ava Labs, um, and uh, we ended up uh, building the Avalanche uh, ecosystem up. And um, I used to be a professor at Cornell University and have been in the space for a long time. And uh, we like to pride ourselves on being one of the most innovative teams in the blockchain space, solving the problems that are really, really hard to solve, and uh, also executing uh, you know, as, as well as we can. Uh, in in this space, which is somehow a rare ability to uh, to forge the right kinds of partnerships and to build to make the right calls, uh, to not be uh, parochial, to not be to not think small, but to think big and to grow the space. These are all qualities I, I take pride in. So uh, so welcome to everyone. And uh, Kyle, now it's your turn to talk super slowly for three minutes. <laughs> uh, absolutely, yeah. We got started a little early because. You know, we have the whole crowd here on. So thanks, everyone, for jumping on. And we'll we'll keep it light um, and, and kind of dig into the, the deeper questions as we go along. Um, but I hope you hope you're both having a good day so far. Uh, Doe, I know you're probably just getting your day started. So um, thanks for making the time to jump on with us. Um, so, you know, we're going to we're going to kind of get started and just talk a little bit about uh, the, the partnership that was announced last week and, and um, what that means for both ecosystems going forward. I think there was a lot of positive reaction to 
bringing these two communities together and, and uh, further driving adoption of this technology um, in new ways. And um, it's kind of a first of its kind. So I think a lot of people are really excited about it. And I think there's a lot to, to learn uh, about this partnership. And hopefully we get to cover off a lot of great stuff today. Um, so again, thanks everyone for joining. Um, you know, we'll kind of st start it off uh, just top line. Uh, Doe, this is, this is a question for you. You know, we've all, over the past couple of weeks, there's been a lot of conversation, a lot of media. You know, you've done a lot of interviews around the the plan and execution of of buying BTC for the for the UST reserve. Um, and then, you know, now you're moving into diversifying that reserve. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, the decision to uh, diversify the reserve for for UST and and what that looks like going forward. And then we'll kind of dive into um, how Avalanche and Avax has fit into that plan. Yeah, so it's easiest to understand this this decision, uh, you know, trying to speak the language of nations. So um, when Terra first started, uh, it was mainly, you know, designed to be used for fairly stable use cases, uh, not just because like the initial use cases that were built uh, exhibited low volatility, but because uh, Terra was mainly used on the Terra blockchain um, and then servicing its own sort of DeFi ecosystem. So for the users of the Terra ecosystem, Luna is perfectly good collateral uh, from their view. And they have a lot of loyalty to Luna because it is the main staking asset of the Terra blockchain. But um, you know, uh, from our perspective, I think UST's potential is not just to be the stable coin for Terra, but to be the de decentralized money across all blockchains. We're basically thinking that similar to the role that USDC or Tether plays in sort of the centralized stablecoin space, Crypto deserves a sovereign money that, uh, you know, benefits all ecosystems and um, is credibly backed by some of the leading assets in the industry, right? And in order to do that, we felt like it made sense to, um, you know, diversify reserves into, you know, assets like Bitcoin and Avalanche. Bitcoin, because it gives, uh, you know, sort of the neutrality uh, for UST in a way that the asset of a single ecosystem cannot. So as we build up more and more reserves uh, in Bitcoin, not only does the economic risk of UST get reduced, but it also means that a lot of users across other ecosystems that are using UST have more confidence because it is backed by an asset that is ecosystem neutral. Uh, for Avalanche, it made sense because we have big plans on how to grow UST adoption on Avalanche. And then, it, and, and then as UST is growing, it helps to align incentives with the rest of the Avalanche ecosystem because UST use on Avalanche is going to uh, you know, be, be, be backed by AVAX and it's going to reduce uh, AVAX supply as the stablecoin grows. Awesome. Yeah, and, and uh, Google, were you going to say something? It looks like you might have. Okay. Um, no, um, but I can, I can chime in and say a few words to add to what Doe pointed out. Uh, I think it's, it's painfully obvious to everybody that we're moving towards a decentralized world. Crypto is at the forefront of this. And in such a world, we need ways of, uh, we need means of, of units of account. We need means of valuing things that are tied to the external world. Now, we call these things stable coins, and they come in two varieties. The uh, fiat-backed stable coins that people are familiar with, the, uh, the uh, tethers of the world, the circles of the world, etc. These are fantastic uh, in many ways, but at the same time, they carry specific unique risks. The big risk they carry, of course, is the fact that they're not decentralized. They, there is a backing store, and that backing store is in the hands of a very, very few, a very small number of actors. And uh, just a single subpoena can typically end up depriving the entirety of a, uh, an asset class of, of its entire value. So this is really problematic. And, um, and so, so in such a decentralized world, we need a decentralized stable coin. And, um, and I think uh, what Doe is pointing out is that, uh, uh, is that, uh, that uh, UST uh, serves this function uh, and uh, provides a way of uh, accounting for, for, uh, for value in a way that cannot be usurped by any power. It is fully, truly decentralized. It's a, it's a, a stable coin that's befitting the crypto movement. So I think this is a fantastic thing to explore. So when the opportunity or the idea first came up, I was thrilled. 
So, um, and things took off from there. Yeah. Uh, can you, uh, I guess for both of you, can you tell us a little bit about how kind of the conversation started or how this came about? I'm sure everybody would love to know a little bit about, you know, how this started to develop between these two uh, ecosystems. Yeah. So maybe, maybe I'll take a stab at that question. So um, we've been, you know, looking at lots of different ways to break into the Avalanche ecosystem. And I think uh, for some of the early adoption, we've had uh, some success with that. So we've been working uh, with various teams in the Avalanche ecosystem, like Benki, uh, Trader Joe, uh, Pangolin, uh, and many others, as well as launching some of our own applications like Anchor Protocol and, um, you know, a, a few others like soon to launch, like Nebula and, and so on and so forth. But uh, one of the consistent feedback that we've heard from ecosystem teams in Avalanche is that they, they wanted a stable coin that was backed by AVEX, uh, one, or at least two, uh, more, more, more credibly neutral from the sense of its backing, right? So uh, a, a lot of the thinking of adding Bitcoin reserves and you know, AVEX reserves was actually shaped by you know, putting our ears to the ground and listening to what some of the teams were telling us. So uh, that, that's sort of how we began the conversation. And then we started to have design discussions of how exactly we can better align incentives with the Avalanche ecosystem, uh, what types of teams that we need to talk to, uh, how should we design the reserve mechanism with various different people in the AVAX ecosystem and the foundation. Like, for example, Luigi, we've spoken to him in. Um, and then that's how we... Um, ended up, you know, sort of inking this deal together. So, uh, Doe, I don't know if you remember the first conversation we had. Uh, I, I remember it very, very well because I was freezing. It was, um, it was a very cold night in New York, and uh, I was at a dinner with, uh, with, uh, with a, a bunch of friends. The time difference between us does not make these conversations easy at all. And so, um, so when, when we were supposed to talk, I think it was 8 p.m. my time and uh, probably... 8 a.m. is your time. So um, it was, I had to step out and it was this, this really hurried conversation. I was shivering. I remember my jaw was actually just, just actually clenching a little bit. And, um, and, uh, but I was really excited. It was, it was full of excitement because uh, it was a coming together of two, uh, two parallel universes, if you will, the Terra universe with the Avalanche universe and two different sets of expertise and two different technologies coming together to create something that really is befitting the space where we are trying to, to bring together what we have and build something that's far greater than the sum of the parts. Yeah, that's, that's, um, <laughs> that's a great story how that kind of got started so quickly like that. Um, and I know, Gun, you touched on how these two kind of parallel universes, two parallel ecosystems are coming together. And, and you've both talked a lot about how the importance of community and how important it is to kind of for all of everyone to succeed within that community. Um, you know, I wanted to know if you both wanted to touch on like, what are the similarities that you see in bringing these two um, communities of, of uh, you know, developers and project leaders and everybody that's in these ecosystems, how, you know, strong it can become with, with bringing them together? Uh, go ahead, Tom. I, I think there, you know, we, we can talk about the similarities and that we can talk about the synergies. So one of the things that I uh, noted while speaking to uh, projects in the Avalanche ecosystem is that um, th there's a lot of organic passion and there's a lot of community-driven uh, innovation that's happening in the Avalanche ecosystem in the sense that, you know, a, a lot of the tooling and, and a lot of the, you know, help that projects are willing to give to each other is something that they do because they want this ecosystem to succeed. Not because there's a grant attached at the end of it or, you know, there's like incentives that they can get or it's like easier to raise funding necessarily. Um, like all the projects try to raise each other up uh, instead of, you know, bringing each other down, even if they might happen to be competing at a certain vector. And I think whenever something like that happens to an ecosystem, magic is about to happen because we have the same set of values and the same set of builders in the Terra ecosystem as well, uh, in, in the sense that they want everybody to win, um, you know, working towards a common set of goals rather than trying to cut each other down. Um, and I, I, I felt that that's something that's, um, you know, you know, amidst all the money and the VC field craze uh, that's sort of engulfing Web3, it's kind of hard to find these days. So 
Um, I, I think those things are the similarities. In terms of the synergies, uh, you know, w- would this be a good time for me to start talking about like my Avalanche thesis? Yes, we, absolutely. We would love to hear it, though. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's it's one of the ways in which uh, one one of the reasons why I'm a big fan of the Cosmos ecosystem. But um, in my mind, every bull market we are reminded of block gentrification, and every bear market we forget that it exists. What I mean is, um, you know, I, I sort of think about these blockchains, monolithic blockchains, as cities, and then you sort of have a green belt around these cities, and then the only way that you can scale is to move to satellite cities or to build more buildings. Now, the one invariant that doesn't change is that any sufficiently credible distributed system has finite block space, right? Which means that you can scale like Hong Kong, right? Uh, And then build like, I don't know, like 100-story buildings at every city block, right? But even then, you're going to run out of space, right? Or you can scale like, you know, like every other... Uh, modern computing system does, and then scale horizontally. So in, in the case of Cosmos, uh, they have something called the Cosmos SDK, and then they have IBC that connects a lot of these zones together. In the case of Avalanche, um, the, it, it's, it's not so much that Avalanche hasn't solved you know, scaling vertically, that, that problem well. Like the Avalanche consensus is beautiful, and the C, uh, C chain is extremely performant. But Sort of like the end state model, at least the way that I understood it, is to create subnets for various different use cases and then to scale horizontally. And I think some of the early success is starting to happen with this, right? So, for example, uh, you know, DeFi kingdoms uh, coming to a subnet on Avalanche is a great proof of concept to prove out the viability of this technology. And then um, I think if um, you know this DFK subnet is going, it, it can operate you know, very well over the next few months, that's sort of going to be sort of a, you know, giant cry to, uh, you know, publishers and uh, indie developers across the world that Avalanche is a, is a, is a performance chain that you can use uh, for gaming without having to share your block space with, you know, the next kitty cat NFT drop or, you know, things like that. Um, so uh, I, I think, you know, the, the vision that Avalanche has to uh, scaling blockchains and then bringing on, you know, the next 10,000, 100,000 Web3 developers is very compelling. And we just wanted to seat at the table to be, um, you know, one of the leading decentralized money of the future that Avalanche is proposing. And we're thrilled to have you on board, though. So, uh, uh, yeah, likewise, I think uh, let, me, let me just sort of... Uh, uh, return the favor and talk a little bit about our thesis. So uh, there are a couple of different things that came together to make our partnership happen. It's the first of its kind, as far as I know, in the crypto space, and I've been around for quite a while. So um, uh, one, and the, probably the most important, was the team behind the Terra effort. So uh, we had been watching Doe and team for quite a while. We had been watching their meteoric rise. And um, and we knew that they, uh, they that they had something that very few projects in the space possess, which is an ability to execute, an ability to tackle hard problems, and to deliver results. So that that was first and foremost. And uh, though I have to I have to say this, you know, when I heard that you guys were based off of Cosmos, I was like, ah, oh, you know, that's uh, that's that's something broke in me. I was like, I wish they could. They could work literally on top of us. I would have done anything at that moment to to get you guys on top of us. And uh, so what happened then was actually fairly straightforward. We, we, we worked really hard to find a way to get Terra to work on top of Avalanche. And, um, and so the, the second, probably the second thread that brought us together is this whole issue of algorithmic stable coins. It's a very challenging problem. It's, uh, you know, and there are people out there who wake up every morning with, with great hatred towards the whole idea. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a difficult problem. And some people believe that it cannot be solved in very much the same way that there are a bunch of people out there who thought that, uh, that blockchain scalability was unsolvable and, um, and that Avalanche was, you know, whatever it is, they say all sorts of, all sorts of funny things about us. And, uh, and that, you know, or they said funny things about us, about how it wouldn't work and so forth. And, um, and they were proven wrong. So we had that in common. 
And, and in many ways, the fact that, that uh, Terra is based on, on a different basis, on a different foundation, was actually a great synergy because it had a different ecosystem. It had a different set of users exposed to a different set of assumptions, different kinds of builders. Um, not very far in spirit. It's kind of like, you know, your cousins, like you, you share the same values, you're part of the same family, but it's just slightly different. And, um, and then when the idea came up with the Nava Labs to, to try to see if we could partner, it was, it was a game changer. We immediately got very, very excited because of the, the ability to, or the, the opportunity to bring together these communities and to build things together. So that's, uh, that's sort of the, the initial launch for us. And um, I, I'm not going to repeat the decentralized stablecoin story. It's very, very important. Um, but the synergies go far, far and beyond. So the fact that Doe had committed uh, to buying a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin had then bought a billion dollars of Bitcoin and followed that up with buying $3 billion of Bitcoin. And there was a, you know, there was a whole bunch of talk about buying even more and so on. That was really exciting to us. So we don't see this as a one-time event at all. It's, exact, it's the exact opposite of that. It's a first step towards establishing a partnership that will grow from here, where uh, for the, the, the backing store, we provide a Vox, uh, which has some properties that are very much like Bitcoin. It's hard capped. It's uh, you know it provides uh, and it provides access to a, a vibrant ecosystem of DeFi, and in turn we get uh, a, the biggest biggest stablecoin, algorithmic stablecoin of its kind. So uh, so the the connection there is amazing, and I can't wait to see what happens when the communities get together. Yeah, absolutely. There's going to be uh, a lot to, to come from here, and and like you said, you know, this is just the beginning. Um, Doe, if you if you can want to share a little bit about um, kind of how AVAX works as a part of the reserve and and how you know the seniorage is going to work um, and kind of the, the method and model of of how the uh, the AVAX will be added to the reserve in return for UST. Sure. So the mechanism is relatively straightforward. You can imagine that this works as a virtual AMM with stiff pricing. So what I mean by this is that at any given time, uh, users that are wanting to, you know, uh, get UST from the Avalanche uh, C chain can trade in a dollar's worth of AVAX into this AMM and get a dollar's worth of, um, you know, UST. Vice versa, then what that would do is that as more UST is created, this virtual AMM is going to contain more and more AVAX. Now. What you can do later when you want to redeem your UST for AVAX is that you can trade in your UST and then get 99 cents of AVAX. So the reason why there's an asymmetry between the creation and the redemption is because we want to make sure that the reserve is only used during times where um, like the stablecoin is, is contracting, right? So that asymmetry makes, makes sure that the reserve isn't used as like a vanilla AMM where people are just like running arbitrage trades all the time but is only genuinely using it to create and redeem stable coins. Um, so this is going to have a couple of properties, right? So uh, number one, uh, given that, you know, if, if you're trying to use UST and AVAX, it, it creates sort of a, uh, you know, create and redemption mechanism natively onto the Avalanche chain. Uh, so which is really convenient. Like you don't need to rely on bridges. You don't need to go to, you know, this chain or that chain in order to, you know, perform, you know, uh, reserve operations. So uh, that's incredibly helpful, and it saves a lot of the steps uh, before you can start to engage with the, the with the minting mechanism. And then the second step is, uh, you know, on net, if UST adoption on Avalanche grows, it's going to contain more and more AVAX into this reserve pool. Um, so it, it, from that from that perspective, it helps to align the incentives of the stablecoin with the ecosystem that is hosting it. Yeah. That, that uh, thanks for, for breaking that down. Were you going to say something on that? Yeah, I was going to mention, uh, you know, uh, how what what that really means for the for the regular person. So uh, uh, so this allows people to take their avox and um, if they're long avox to convert it to USD and then use that USD in DeFi. They can uh, they can go use it for yield farming on Anchor. Uh, they can use it for uh, any other purpose that they they would use U.S. dollars for, uh, and uh, in particular, they can then use it to to buy whatever else that they might want to do uh, recursively as well, which obviously carries its own risks. 
but these are things that are possible uh, when uh, when you've minted uh, a vox into USD. So um, it's an interesting opportunity, I think, for people who want to explore the uh, the possibilities that DeFi offers. Yeah. So uh, w- one more way of thinking about it is that th- so this relationship can be-, be best understood if we're trying to speak the language of nations. Right. So you can almost think about it as like a trade route or uh, a diplomatic channel being created between you know, two different uh, nation states. And you know, blockchains have a lot of properties that are akin to you know, uh, nations, right? which is why so many of them call themselves like you know, the X and X nation or like the sushi nation or the frog nation or, or things like that. It's, it's not, um, so some parts of it are a little bit overstated, but I think a lot of the characteristics are shared. So uh, another way of thinking about it is that for the Terra ecosystem, our, our, our greatest export is the Terra stablecoin, the decentralized one. And in order to make sure, but like, for example, like if you're selling, um, you know, you know, uh, American, actually, I don't, I'm not sure if Americans sell anything anymore, but let's say Americans were selling like Hollywood movies or something like that. But if it's just like, you know, um, but if you're trying to sell a movie to, let's say, um, you know, a different country, then it's helpful if a lot of the people that, um, you know, that, that are the top stars are native to that particular country, right? So uh, it's basically like a way to better align incentives as two nations engage more commerce and more trade. Yeah, absolutely. And do you, do you think that there's like um, even further ways that this helps, the, you know, a lot of the conversation has been around the stability of, of stable coins and, you know, future events that could happen around, um, you know, it, it, it kind of contracting, like you said, H- how else does this kind of um, reserve of another, asset besides Bitcoin help with the stability of, of the stablecoin itself? Yeah, so I, I think that's a really great question. So when people look at algorithmic stablecoins, they generally talk about the mechanism by which the algo stablecoin operates, rather, but the very few people actually talk about you know, the strength of the economy that backs that stablecoin. So what I mean is that if you look at you know, uh, how central banks operate across the world, Actually, the USD is the most poorly backed out of all the central banking regimes, at least from an explicit mechanism perspective, right? So the, uh, like, for example, like the, the, the Federal Reserve doesn't maintain, you know, Forex reserves of different currencies because, well, it, it does, but at a relatively much smaller scale because it doesn't need to, right? Whereas a lot of weaker economies from a reserve ratio perspective has reserves that are significantly higher, but there's no arguing that their currencies are significantly weaker than some of the larger uh, currencies like the euro or the USD. And this is because it's not, you know, solving the, 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 the currency problem isn't really a mechanism problem. Like the US dollar isn't the strongest because the people that work at the Fed are the smartest. I, I would say roughly central bankers have similar levels of intelligence, like almost uniform distribution across the world. And mechanisms and, you know, policy levers that are exercised are largely very similar. But it's because like the the underlying economy is stronger than that of other nation states, uh, and I think for Terra, the right question to be asking is what is the current health of the Terra economy, right? Are the use cases of its backing apps sufficiently decentralized? Is there growth happening? Uh, how is Terra USD growing in adoption across you know different chains, right? And I, and I think from that perspective, uh, there's an economic argument to be made for a- adding AVAX to as as a backing asset for USD. And I think that's going to be you know, very helpful and help to diversify the backing uh, for Terra stablecoins. But I think the bigger win is uh, if through this partnership, we can uh, see a world where USD grows faster in the Avalanche ecosystem than it otherwise would have, then I think that's the major win because it makes the economies of both ecosystems stronger. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do here. Absolutely. And I have every reason to expect that it will actually though. So, um... The uh, the stablecoin story is is uh, is still in formation. It's it's very very early, and um, and I think the uh, the the central banks. You know, talking about nation states, central banks have uh, have really given up the opportunity to lead in this space. I think maybe a year ago, uh, you know, in response to the Chinese uh, focus on blockchains, they they realized how important the space was. And uh, they started looking into it, but they were too, too slow. And, um, and at this point, it's going to be 
essentially the CBDC event is just not, it's, it's just too far in the future to, to really move the needle for anyone. I think the, um, the existing players are the ones that are going to be the, the emergent ones, and USD is, is by and far the lead one in this space. Yeah, and Joe, I know you mentioned, um, you know, the best, the best case scenario is that because of this partnership, the, the, the adoption and usage of UST grows even exponentially beyond what it could have otherwise. Um, you know, when you're thinking about which, you know, blockchain ecosystem to partner with, are there other ways uh, that you feel like the, the Avalanche blockchain is, is uniquely positioned to um, help that the adoption and growth, whether it be different protocols that can use the stablecoin for payments or different ways that it could be, um, you know, used for, for different trading mechanisms. Um, are there any other ways that you see kind of the benefit of, of going across chain um, to, to drive that adoption exponentially even further? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, like the first step was aligning incentives and, you know, check, check, check there. Um, I think the second step is uh, a lot of the homework is on, you know, what we can do as Terraform Labs uh, to, you know, put boots on the ground and help to grow the Avalanche ecosystem as well, right? So basically, we're making a bet here that the Avalanche ecosystem, uh, the Avalanche economy is going to grow a lot faster than, um, you know, uh, other economies. And, you know, like one way that we can make sure that this relationship strengthens even faster is to help that economy grow even faster. Right. So uh, one of the things that we've announced recently is for Avalanche projects that are using Terra stablecoins to be covered as sort of the grants program for Terraform Capital. So which means that we will help to fund the cost of audits. We will, uh, you know, you know, help to cover some of the initial bootstrapping costs of launching a protocol. And some of the major benefits of this is that you can make sure. Well, so if you can sort of neutralize some of the early initial setup costs uh, of launching a DeFi protocol, uh, means that you can optimize for more community-based fair launches, right? Instead of necessarily having to raise money. Um, and we're here for it. So uh, we're, we're going to help with that. We're going to make sure that sort of our network of auditors start to cover, you know, the Avalanche ecosystem. And I think that's going to be really helpful. The second is we're bringing a, a suite of apps that Terraform Labs has, has helped to create uh, in the past. So, uh, for example... Um, you know, when we're first designing the mechanisms for the Nebula protocol, which is which defines clusters of top assets across different blockchains, uh, covering Avalanche would mean that there would be sort of this basket of assets that people can easily trade to make directional bets on the Avalanche ecosystem without having to do you know the minutia of trading and rebalancing portfolios all the time. So uh, I think sort of like the application space of the Avalanche ecosystem is going to get lots of attention. And then also sort of the yield protocol in the form of Anchor has already landed and we're working to simplify the user experience and tailor it for Avalanche native use cases. Um, so we, we are definitely doing those things. Uh, for the builders out there, I would just want to, you know, uh, make a general call to attention that, uh, you know, Terraform Labs, we would love to partner with the, the best builders in the ecosystem um, and to, you know, to do the work to help you win better than you otherwise uh, could have done. Um, and I think it's helpful, like even if you are, you know, have USDT or USDC in the stack, that you try to include decentralized stablecoins into the mix because it helps to reduce the various different types of risks that can be, that, that can be presented in DeFi protocols, if not today, maybe two years from now, three years from now, five years from now. So um, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good call out for for all the Avalanche devs out there. There's definitely uh, a lot to be done here and a lot of great ways to integrate UST into uh, existing protocols or, or new projects that you're about to launch. Um, and, you know, one of the things that kind of building off of that, you, you mentioned in your uh, initial tweet thread um, when you were announcing the partnership that you said Web3 will run on multiple chains and many of those chains will be Avalanche subnets. Um, and subnets is obviously a, a technology that is really coming to fruition right um, as we speak. What kind of uh, excited you about the idea of subnets um, in the first place as you saw that? Yeah, so, I mean, the, the exciting thing about uh, subnets is that it becomes really easy to bootstrap your own block space that other people won't be using. So the thing is, um, uh, like for a lot of the uh, main contract chains, they're, they're, they're great, but um, you have to block uh, share block space with a lot of different parties. 
So what that means is that if there's like a exciting like pick someone air, airdrop, and I know every one of you here participating in that, right? Um, that that sort of eats up block space for the other applications that are, you know, running on that chain. For something like a game, that is actually unacceptable because games generally have tons of users uh, relative to the amount of capital that's going around. So you can it's not hard to imagine a situation where. Um, you know, some of these Web3 games that have that are launched by series publishers can have, you know, 5 million, 10 million daily active users. So in that case, like they need their dedicated block space. They cannot share it with other people because the quality of service needs to be independent. Right. Actually, I was just like talking to like one of the you know public gaming company uh, founders in, in Seoul. And then he was telling me about like this one game that they created and then it has 1 million DAU. And they've always already written that off as like a failure because um, like 1 million usership for like a large gaming company is, is a complete joke of having. So block space is going to be really important. Uh, the ability to scale and to uh, own, um, you know, your own throughput, I think, yeah, I think it's going to be really important. And Avalanche sub subnets are really interesting because, um, you know, Avalanche is extremely performant. But in addition to that, like you can you can have all of that bandwidth yourself, and then you can customize uh, how the consensus works, how the execution works uh, in lots of different ways without having to subscribe to a monolithic tech stack. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, let me add a little bit to that, uh, and, and I'm so glad to hear it coming from you, though, because normally I'm the one who's, uh, who has to, uh, to describe how Avalanche works to people. Uh, but, uh, but indeed, the, uh, the thing that set us on the path to creating Avalanche was a breakthrough in consensus protocols. And uh, we do have the world's fastest uh, consensus protocol that is also the most decentralized. It can accommodate millions of validators yeah, into the, uh, the protocol itself and where all of those validators play a part in every decision. So, uh, so that, was, that, that vertical scaling is what, us, what got us going. And we introduced the concept of subnets to be able to scale horizontally. And, um, and I do have to say this, that one of the most difficult things to find in this space is clarity of thought. It's, it's to have the right framework for evaluating distributed systems or economic activities as well. There's a lot of misinformation and, and bad frameworks that lead people down into rabbit holes. And, um, and if, you, if you buy into the wrong framework, you end up insisting on, on strange properties that keep you from being able to scale or from being able to deliver anything that works. So uh, I'm not going to go through and name all these things, but people are familiar with all these technologies that the others are pushing that are fully centralized or they don't even have the means to detect and, and, and respond to fraud on, on, you know, on, on certain systems, or uh, they just don't scale because they end up sharing all of the same hardware or some critical bottleneck hardware with, with other chains. So we were one of the first set of people to say, hey, you know, this is not how you do this. The frameworks are incorrect. They're just slightly skewed. And yet, you know, once you get on go on a long journey and you start off on the wrong foot, in the wrong direction in the, in the, from the get-go, you end up at a very different destination. So, um, so that's what allowed us to build, I think, the world's fastest system. And it's wonderful to have partners like you. So, um, so the, the algorithmic stablecoin game is a very difficult one. And, um, and so one of the most difficult things is, is to actually achieve empirical success. So to have a coin that has preserved value from all kinds of market corrections. And so, so it's fantastic to have a partner uh, that has done that. And UST, you know, I think uh, I didn't get a chance to talk earlier, but uh, I did want to mention this. UST is money. So in, in response to many of the things that, uh, that Doe is planning to, uh, uh, to do with, with Avox, um, you know, one of the first things we want to do is use UST as money and to create it, to use it in our own ecosystem and to, uh, to promote its usage. So, uh, and of course, the other things that we want to do is, uh, is explore things we can do in subnets. As Doe mentioned, we can build custom solutions. We can onboard many, many millions of users. And uh, we can do this in a manner that keeps performance isolated from different games, different subnets, different uses. So it's going to be an exciting future ahead.
yeah, the future is, is definitely going to be exciting with how this stuff gets built out. I know there was a, a little bit of a um, slight message in, in uh, some of the uh, tweet threads and other things that came out around a gaming subnet that's potentially coming out. Uh, I don't know if you want to drop any alpha on that, but Dale, I don't know if you have any information on the gaming subnet that's being planned to launch on Avalanche. Oh, <laughs> so um, I... You know, you know, like on account of where I used to be based, um, you know, Seoul, uh, there's a lot of gaming companies um, in Seoul. Um, so you might have heard of some of these titles like, um, you know, like, you know, so some of these publishers like, um, you know, like, you know, um, like Battleground, that, that, that's like a really big game uh, coming out of Seoul. Like some of the old ones like MapleStory. <laughs> um, uh, so, so like Korea happens to host uh, one of the, uh, one of the highest concentration of gaming companies uh, in the world, uh, and Koreans are, you know, fanatical gamers. Like uh, I remember, like when um, when I was in high school, I would actually I should probably probably not talk about this, but I, I used to play games all the time. Um, anyways, uh, you know, in, if you mix that with a very high literacy rate for web uh, web three and crypto, so uh, you know some estimates say that up to a third of the population happens to hold crypto or to trade cryptocurrencies. Then you have every gaming publisher in the country that are scrambling to launch, uh, you know, web three games. So uh, I think what what could be interesting is that um, we're we've been talking to some of these publishers about like using UST or to use KRT or to use various different types of stablecoins to allow people to transact with these gaming economies. And Terra for this is very, very attractive because uh, we support multiple different types of stablecoins. And then they're starting to become, uh, you know, quality on-ramps and off-ramps as well as an attendance set of SDKs and APIs that support use cases of, uh, you know, multiple different currencies. And from the perspective of a gaming developer, this is especially helpful because it solves two problems. Number one, it allows them to launch Rails on a global distributed audience uh, because, you know, users in the Philippines, for instance, are going to denominate stability, not in terms of dollars, but in terms of pesos. In Korea, they're going to denominate it in, in the form of won, and uh, Europeans are going to denominate it in the forms of euros. And the fact that we have a multiple uh, multi-stablecoin system with different stablecoins that are pegged to various different things definitely helps to accomplish that objective. And I think second, uh, if you run gaming on crypto rails, this is especially helpful because, um, you, you know, like if you launch a mobile game on traditional fiat rails, like you're going to lose an arm and a leg in terms of paying fees to platform providers, like, for example, Apple for, for iOS pay, right? So, and then if you do a lot of these transactions on crypto, you, you no longer have to do that. Now, the, the way to do this is to come up with a compelling, uh, you know, sort of uh, technical structure whereby gaming companies can actually build these things. So I, I thought it would be interesting if we could get, uh, you know, one of these, you know, Web3 titles to launch on an Avalon subnet while using UST as, uh, UST and other Terra stablecoins as a method of payment and transaction. So in that case, it, it would sort of be the best example case of what this partnership can potentially be. Like what happens if you launch using uh, Terra's financial and transactional rails uh, on, you know, Avalanche's performance uh, uh, subnet technology? So I think it's going to be one of those, uh, you know, uh, sort of trial runs that if successful, we can replicate many times over uh, in other games and lots of other use cases. Yeah, so, um, yeah, let me, Kyle, if you don't mind, I'll chime in with my thoughts on Absolutely. blockchains a little bit. So, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I was captivated by programmable games way back when. I'm not going to even mention the, the, the calendar year, um, but, uh, but <laughs> some people on the, in, the, in the audience will remember that you used to be able to um, uh, get into MMO, MMORPGs with, uh, with programmable code. That you could you could design your own weapons and upload your own own code for how the weapon behaves, written in Lua, and there were restrictions, so you couldn't just build an atom bomb that kills everybody except you. Uh, you'd have to make some trade-offs and so on. And um, that technology has been lost. So what we see instead are are uh, are um, you know essentially just studios working on their own 
to build one-hit wonders, and they paralyze, they just crank out these things. And the experience is, um, is just not that great from the point of view of the user. You end up getting trapped into, into, into some game. Uh, to, to make sure that you always have fun, you have to make sure that you are not trapped into something with a low number of users. You then have to play this funny game. It's kind of like a Keynesian beauty contest. You have to play the game that you know all your friends are going to be playing. And so that means that people sort of collect around just a couple of the winners. It's, it's a funny space. Uh, but, but with the, the advent of blockchains and with the ability to upload code, with the ability to build virtual machines that can execute code safely, and with the, the emergence of different styles of games, I mean, this is, it's kind of odd how so many games written by so many different people tend to fall into certain genres. They tend to share a certain look and feel. They tend to share a certain uh, je ne sais quoi, but uh, whatever it is, it's, it's so clear when you look at it. You know if you're in the world of Zelda versus you're in the world of Mario versus whatever else. So there, there are these genres that are emerging that clearly would be compatible with each other, where you could build things in one universe and carry them over to another. And, and the, the opportunities are immense. And um, so at the moment, I think we're seeing the emergence of the sort of first games. They have economic components. In many cases, the economic components are not very advanced or complicated. So they end up having crashes and economic issues that, that you see in sort of small nation states. They happen in-game as well. I think we're going to be plowing through those and building more uh, more stable uh, dynamics into the economics of the games themselves. And we're going to see these games that share a genre start to share space on the, on the same chains for transferring uh, elements from one game to another. And most importantly of all, for me as a techie, I love the fact that we'll be able to upload and customize certain features of games in the future. So, um, so it's, it's, just, it's just an exciting emerging space. And, um, and, uh, and, and to have part in some of the evolution of this, it's just an enormous opportunity for all of us in the, in the communities. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot that evolves over the next year or so around how these games are built and how the economic models are built within it. And I think the integration of UST uh, is, is really going to be vital to, to a lot of these gaming ecosystems. And I think a subnet is a perfect place to have that. So, yeah, really looking forward to see how this kind of plays out. And, uh, and we'll be looking out for, for more announcements around how that happens. And I know beyond that, there's going to be even more, you know, you talked about how projects and protocols from from the Terra ecosystem can now um, work with you to deploy on Avalanche. How do you you know? Are there any particular um, projects or or platforms that you're that you're excited about, Doe, around that are potentially going to um, deploy on Avalanche and and bring their product to this community? Uh, wanted to know. This is also a question from from Twitter. Um, if there's any particular projects you're excited about that might be moving over to Avalanche. Yeah. So the so the Anchor and Nebula stuff that I already covered, but uh, well, so without naming, you know, the particular projects. So like one of the things that's been sort of cooking under the wraps uh, in the Terra ecosystem is um, like a very large existing um, like Web2 metaverse platform that is moving into Web3. So basically the idea is that you can import your NFTs, a 2D profile picture NFTs, and then to... Like once you link your wallet, um, then it gets turned into like a 3D avatar. And then you can use it um, to interact with other characters in a 3D, 3D dimensional space. So the idea is that, um, you know, when you first enter, it's sort of like a, like a you know, street that you enter into. And then as you enter each of the buildings, you enter a different metaverse, right? And then each of these sub-metaverses can be programmed on. So developers can... Uh, create like one of these, you know, buildings as like a, like a small arcade game, like once you come in, right. Uh, or it could be like a store where you can browse different types of, you know, fungible token or NFT merchandise. Um, and the, the goal of this is to be cross-chain, right? So uh, we would be able to support like, uh, or rather they would be able to support, um, you know, NFTs from the Avalanche ecosystem such that like you add utility and the types of use cases that can, you can bring. To, to NFTs. Other examples are like some of the DeFi applications uh, on Terra uh, would want to expand into the Avalanche ecosystem. So for example, like an interesting primitive that we have on Terra is, uh, you know, uh, uh, for example, this thing called Prism Protocol, 
which basically takes in uh, any yield-bearing asset and then sort of refracts it into um, a token that gives you physical delivery of the yield, let's say, every month. And then the other, uh, which is supposed to track the price of the principal. So the idea is that if you wanted to uh, make a directional bet on the yield of a particular yield-bearing asset, then you can just mint the Y token and the P token, sell the P token, and then buy more Y tokens with it, thereby giving you leveraged access to yield. And if you only wanted access to, let's say, no, I, I don't want AVAX's yield, I just want leveraged uh, increased exposure to the AVAX token, then you sell the Y token and then just um, just uh, speculate on the P. So this allows DeFi to become more uh, rational because um, you know, like y- you allow people to take a directional bet on either the yield or the incre- price increase of the principal. So um, oh. I think that's um, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, it's going to be exciting to see some of these things um, uh, deploy an avalanche potentially around some of the new primitives and some of the gaming stuff you were talking about. Really, is is um, great too around being able to bring some of those two D avatars into a three D world. So I know everybody here is probably really looking forward to how some of those things develop and, and come to life. Um, I do have w- one more question too, and then I think we were going to um, spend a few minutes uh, taking some some questions from the audience. But one other question we got from Twitter as well was. You know, it sounds like this is just the the beginning of uh, the the trade from UST to AVAX to add it to the reserve. What how what is like the uh, mechanism for how there's going to be more AVAX purchased in the future? Yeah, so I, I touched upon this with uh, sort of the end state of the reserve mechanism um, that I I, I I identified. So uh, we're we're sort of in the process of um, you know looking at um, you know how this reserve can exactly be be implemented. So we're sort of in the late stages of the spec phase, and the initial sort of you know the current spec for this can be um, found in our research forum Agora the Paradigm Money, where we outline exactly how the the mint and the redemptions would happen uh, against a mechanism like this. So I encourage people to take a look. Uh, so there's one spec document for both Bitcoin and AVAX. So um, I think that'll be interesting. In the meanwhile, though, uh, we we might be interested in just like putting the AVAX uh, that that we purchase into um, like a liquidity pool, so that you know even if it's like not the full reserve mechanism yet, then people still would have liquidity, deep liquidity for test stable coins on Avalanche. Uh, but I, I think it's going to be a step by uh, step by step process. I think in a few months, a couple months, we will have the reserve mechanism up and running so that people can use it. Got it. Thank you for the, uh, the insight there. And yeah, if you guys get a chance to go read that spec paper that I'm sure breaks down a lot of this and we'll see how kind of the mechanism is built out in the future. So um, yeah, we have a, a couple minutes here. wanted to uh, take a few questions from the audience. Um, you know, there's definitely a lot of people listening here and I'm sure everyone has so many different questions around um, both of these projects. But we want to kind of keep it focused on um, this particular partnership and the mechanism that's being built out. So I'll uh, try to uh, let a couple people up and then we'll, we'll do some closing thoughts. So just uh, request to do a speaker and I'll, and I'll bring you up. And uh, don't forget that you have to be on a mobile device to be able to be a speaker on Spaces. So let's try this out. First one that's been requested for uh, Joseph. Hey, thank you for having me on. I was going to ask you guys about kind of these subnets that are going to be launching via the uh, Avalanche network, uh, specifically in the sense that UST has a very unique, interesting position for becoming or just the stablecoin house suite that Terra offers as an interesting value prop for kind of setting up economic structures and payment structures for entire city governments, potentially. And I was wondering, have the subnets been considered to kind of be able to integrate almost governmental transactional s- systems uh, so that they could create their own subnets for their own local currencies to kind of accept for and pay for uh, whatever is on the payroll for a local city government? Well, that's a wonderful question. So um, I lived for many years in Ithaca, New York. And uh, those of you who heard of uh, local currencies might have heard of Ithaca Hours. Uh, They are, as far as I know, in fact, as far as I think the internet knows, they are the first form of a local currency. And uh, so when I showed up in Ithaca, you could could pay your gardener in Ithaca hours, and then uh, he or she could then turn turn around and and uh, demand an hour of your time, you know, helping with their laptop or whatever. So uh, local currencies are an amazing thing, and they can do wonders for communities. 
I have many, many funny stories from uh, from uh, from Ithaca on 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 the early early uh, governance for for Ithaca hours. But I won't bore you with them. Uh, I will say this: it is absolutely essential that any new financial rail that we build not be monolithic. It is absolutely essential that the core task of any new platform that anybody comes up with is not just to enrich the, the one token it's built around, but to create a platform for others to create digital assets. That's what we started out with in, in Avalanche. That's our tagline. It's digitize all things. And, and, uh, and I think that the thing that goes along with that is give everyone the ability to create their own uh, digital assets with their own behaviors. We've definitely spoken to uh, various different people um, who are excited about local currencies and have spoken to some, some small governments as well uh, about issuing their own tokens. Uh, there is a lot of excitement around the globe. I can say this, though, uh, that there is also a lot of regulatory uncertainty. And, um, and so, uh, and I'll be very frank with you that often what ends up happening is that the, the pressures that force a local government to, to consider its own currency are, are political and political divergence from what's happening at the level above them. And because there is that tension, the regulatory concerns are all too real. That, that if you were to succeed with this in some small jurisdiction in country X, um, you're probably doing it to be at odds with the central government and the central government has the right or the ability to, to shut you down. So um, it's, it's such a fascinating field, one that I find personally very, very interesting, one that I, I'm, you know, it's close to my values uh, of, you know, building things that serve people, building things that are countercultural, uh, but, uh, but one that that's also is mired in difficulty or political difficulty. So, uh, so I'm thrilled about what can be done. And uh, I think we have a very large audience tonight. So um, uh, to the extent that people have ideas, we are supremely interested. And uh, as you point out in, in your question, subnets have the right infrastructure. They allow you to have the right set of validators and whatever set of rules you have. They do not force a decision, a technological decision on you. And they certainly don't force a, an economic decision on you either, other than the, the, the requirement to connect with the Avalanche network in order to operate with others and with the tooling. So, um, so it's a fairly light requirement and, uh, and a lot is possible. So if people have ideas, I'm all ears. The entire Ava Labs team is all ears. We'd love to help. Awesome. Uh, thank you for the question, Joseph. Really appreciate it. Let's try uh, to bring one more up here. I know we only have a few minutes left. Um, Busher, I think you were um, requesting for a while there. So let's see if this works out. Hey, you guys can hear me? I got a question for Do. I just want to know the thought press process behind choosing Avalanche over all these other popular L1 chains. Uh, well, Avalanche is going to be many chains, whereas other chains will be one chain. Uh, no, no, that, that, that was that was a joke. But uh, well, so basically, I think I explained a lot of that stuff like in the earlier leg of uh, the spaces. But I am a deep believer in. Avalanche's ability to scale. And just from the community of builders that are currently active on Avalanche, I, I don't think there's any, any way to deny that Avalanche today is one of the most vibrant and the most fastest growing uh, and the fastest growing Web3 ecosystems. And I think as some of the more higher load applications start to come on chain, I think subnets uh, provide an incredible opportunity to be able to service those needs in a way that they don't have to share block space with other applications. Right, so people like to own their own quality of service, and people like uh, people like to customize um, their, you know, their infrastructure to suit their needs. And if you have one monolithic blockchain where block space has to be shared and customization is not possible, then um, I, I think that's just going to lose out on a pretty meaningful uh, market. Awesome, thanks. Uh, let's let's try out one more here, Alex. Let's try yours here. Go ahead, Alex. Hey, uh, really great space. I, I just a couple questions about uh, sort of about the uh, subnets, um, but but also about the what I found was really interesting is the subnets for Avalanche can have any sort of VM. So do you have any? Uh, and what I found really cool about Luna is that UST is used as the uh, gas token, 
right? So it's like, it's stable. So you don't have to worry about, oh, the price of, of, of Luna has gone up. Now gas is too expensive. Are there any plans to use UST as a gas token in a subnet or even on uh, on uh, having a VM for, for Luna? And are there any plans on on having a stable gas token? Or is that something that's that you've even thought about? Thank you. Great question. Of course, it's something that we have thought quite a bit about. And that's something we would love to do. Uh, so um, uh, we've put out some sample uh, sample code for different virtual machines. So there's a Spaces VM. So the devs among you can can play around with it and take a look at uh, something that's it's uh, it's an interesting data repository, if you will. There's a Wagme VM, uh, which is a fast version of an EVM, and uh, and there are others. And I'm not sure if we put out the one where uh, there is a custom VM that's being used for gas. I believe we did. And if we didn't, I'll make sure that we do by tomorrow. But, uh, but we have a, a number of different VMs. And one of, the most, one of the most straightforward things and one of the first things that people want to do is use their own token as gas. And so that's definitely something that's supported. And uh, we have some sample code that uh, that either is or will will shortly be public. So um, that's uh, and it's it, you could also write the same sample code if you wanted to. But uh, we'll we'll seed the the communities with with some some code uh, just to get everybody off the ground. And um, and as you point out, stable coins are fantastic for gas. Right? They take away the 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 uncertainty. They take away the the mapping back onto onto uh, external value. So um and it's just everything becomes far more predictable. So um, so I would love to see such subnets flourish, and I, I know that some are coming in the in the in the months ahead. So, uh, but uh, by all means, it's something I'd love to see more of. Awesome! Thank you for that great question, and thanks, Kuhn, for jumping in there. All right, well, we uh, our special guests have uh, stuff they got to get to. I know Doe's got a full day ahead, and Kuhn's got stuff to do as well. So we're going to wrap it up here. I wanted to give both of you a chance for any uh, final closing thoughts here for the audience. Um, Goon, if you want to go ahead and go first, any final thoughts on this uh, partnership developing? I know Doe has a uh, hard stop at eight, so I'll make it very, very quick. These uh, systems are as strong and as creative as their communities. And by combining our forces, I think we've unleashed something that's quite unique and obviously a first of its kind in the crypto space. I am delighted about about what happened so far, and I'm so excited about what's uh, what's about to come out of this uh, uh, this collaboration. So thank you, everybody, for coming here. And uh, and I look forward to all the creative new ideas that are going to come out of this. Yeah, and I would like to echo those sentiments, but I mean, uh, I just wanted to close this off by saying that if you're building interesting applications at Avalanche, we would love to speak to you. We have, uh, you know, a lot of different programs and, uh, you know, uh, resources that are at our disposal to be able to help new developers get to where they need to get to faster than they otherwise would have. So uh, don't hesitate to reach out to any of our team members, including myself, over DM, and I look very much forward to speaking with you. Awesome. Well, Doe, thank you once again for joining us. We really appreciate you taking the time. Really appreciate everything we've done. You've done so far, and we're looking forward to these two communities building together into the future. So, thanks again, everyone, for joining. Uh, we will have more spaces coming up, and keep an eye out for the uh, this full recap of the panel going up on YouTube in the next couple of days. So, thanks everyone for hopping in, and uh, have a great rest of your day or night. See you later, everyone. Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether that was strategically aligning L1 ecosystems with Do Kwan of TFL and Eamon Gunsier from Avalabs. Recorded on Tuesday, April 12th, 2022. This episode of The Ether was brought to you by Intern Capital. Everyone knows interns make the world go round, so when it comes to picking out your interns, make sure you choose the best. The best you say, that's right, the best. And everyone knows all the best interns come from Intern Capital. Be sure to follow Intern Capital on Twitter and keep an eye out April 14th for the Intern FT Mint launching on One Planet. Links are in the show notes. And for more information, check out intern.capital. Be sure to follow Intern Capital on Twitter for daily ship posts and stock tips. This episode of the Ether was also brought to you by Talus. Talus Protocol is the NFT platform for independent artists on Terra. Talus helps to provide artists with the tools and resources needed to transition from traditional art into the NFT 
World. With their V1 launch coming soon, Talus will be the place to see real-world art reflected on Terra. Be sure to join their Telegram and follow Talus on Twitter for updates on their roadmap, validator, and other Talus news. Find your next favorite artist on talus.art. TerraSpaces appreciates the support from all our sponsors. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. Sipping on a little bit of sin I've been giving Try to keep it written down So it feels like I've been living I've been realizing a minute Reality ain't got limits Going out my fucking mind Testing out the physics Stretching out the distance For instance Let me be specific The risk is hedge funding the business Betting on the difference Ingesting all the research Sleeping through the rebirth Sliding out feet first Sleep tight little dreamer Early to bed Early to rise With a rugged ass demeanor Taking beats to the cleaners You know I love my t-shirts And the people who support my little dream here Transparent cows, I gotta steer clear 2020 going down is one fucking weird year Take a second, look around, the psyops is winning Set the table, we just biopsy dinner Now, I'm gonna react to that and act like I'm telling you a personal anecdote Something to break the tension Something to endear myself a little bit Something kind of, uh, embarrassing <laughs> And you guys are gonna make an awe sound it's true. It really happened. They got a tracker in the phone, tracking everywhere we go. When it's final, if I don't know, I already sold my soul. Getting ready, rock and roll, tip the first domino. Feeling up, I'm in a bowl with these avalanche flows. Stop and rest on the road, gotta get where I'm going. And the rest of y'all know that we hit the ground sore. And I'll be coming for the fuckers that be summoning the trouble. Running on the double while I'm handing out the W's. Putting wins on the board every fucking day. They love me on the team because I know my fucking place. Better get in where you fit in, I'm delivering the meaning. I Inherited the demons, always sneaky, never seen them If I'm breathing, I'm reading, I'm not even being conceited I need to see for myself if you think that I'm believing It's the season of reason, y'all be seizing the research I'm receiving the meaning, that shit's called teamwork It's not so much as so little as to do with what everything is But it is within our self-interest to understand the topography of our lives unto ourselves the future states that there is no time other than the collapsation of that sensation of the mirror of the memories in which we are living. Common knowledge, but important nonetheless. Terrible spaces.